Well, we're continuing through this series. fact is, this is the last Sunday, the last sermon of this series, 212 Degrees, in which we've been looking at how to take our Christianity, how to take our spiritual life to the next level. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 is what we're going to look at today. And for me personally, this is one of my favorite... The fact is, I think more about this scripture, I meditate on this scripture, I have probably referenced this scripture more than any group of scriptures uh, in preaching, that I think this is a secret to the Christian life. Now next week, I start a brand new series. We're going to look at Marriage Matters. It's been five or six years before I've talked about uh, marriage and and family and parenting and how your job, your profession uh, affects your relationships. And so next week, we start a brand new series called Marriage Matters. If you want to read ahead, uh, you can start in... Uh, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, verse 21 and following, and we'll just walk through those verses together for, six or, for four or five weeks, and we'll look at this issue of marriage. But today, we're going to finish this, this series up, 212 degrees, talking one more time about building his kingdom and what that means. I mean, if you've been with us, you have learned that there's a difference between someone that would consider them a Christian and someone that would consider themselves a disciple of Christ or follower of Christ, and we've been learning what that means at a very deep level. And we've learned several things that there's several attributes that it's someone who is believing in Jesus. In other words, that's just not the the start and the ending point. That is really the starting point of a personal relationship with God. And that as you have that relationship with him, the more you know him, the more you love him. And the more you love him, you surrender to him, and his life lives out of your life wherever you go. And so we, we've looked at believing in Jesus and then, then belonging to his family that we, we understand and we get it that a follower of Christ, a disciple of Christ, and belong is a participating member of a local church. He's connected. She's connected to a local church, a body of believers. Uh, we've also looked at becoming a disciple to where that you open his word daily and you, you allow the text to reveal uh, uh, God to you, that's what the Bible is about, to where it speaks to you in a very personal way, because the more you know him, the more you love him, and the more you love him, his life lives out through you. And then we're looking the last week, and then we'll finish it up this week, we're looking at this issue of, of, of building his kingdom, to where we understand that when we meet Christ and we have this relationship with Christ, that now he lives his life out through us, and we have a purpose, and we have, have meaning in life everywhere we go. But to do that, there, there, there's sometimes a barrier that keeps people from doing that. And it, it's, it's this issue of, of self-image. It's this issue of self-approval. It's this I- image of how they view or how they look at themselves. And Romans chapter 12, 1 through 3, is a secret of knowing God's will for your life. Because, listen, if you never understand God's will for your life, you will never be able to build his kingdom. Your life will never really count for him because really and truly it's all about you. And so we live in a time where it's just kind of consumer-minded culture, and what happens is it's affected the church, and there's this consumer-minded Christianity that goes on. To where consumer-minded Christianity is this, that it's just believing in Jesus. That's all it is. It's just something that is personal. It's just something that is private. It, it, it is never goes public. And it's just for me, it's just believing in Jesus because in this consumer-minded Christianity, it's just what God can do for me or what the church can do for me. So I, I, I mean, I like the believing in Jesus part because I need to be forgiven of some sins. I want to have the gift of eternal life. And so it's all about my happiness. It's all about my welfare. But whenever it's like that, you will never have a great self-image. We live in a culture that's just so media-driven that people are talking about this issue of self-image or, or how one views themselves. Years, uh, year, years ago, Whitney Houston sang a song, The Greatest Love of All. 
And in the lyric, she defines what the greatest love of all. She says, the greatest love of all is learning to love yourself. Are you serious? She lived a lifetime with beauty, a beautiful voice, a lot of money, powerful friends, and she was never able to have a good self-image or to love herself. I mean, when you look at this issue of self-image and you look at this issue of the media culture that we're in, that, that if we're not careful, we'll be conformed to the ways of this world, to where the, the, the media-driven culture puts people up in front of us with just, just great bodies and great personalities and great bank accounts and, and uh, uh, great accomplishments. And if we compare ourselves to them, or if we believe that self-image, self-approval comes through that, then we will always feel inferior. And here, here's what I've discovered in Scripture, and, and is there's only one verse that says anything in the New Testament about loving yourself. You realize that, right? The fact is, the Bible hardly even talks about it. Why? Because, because God knew that in our sinful flesh nature that we're going to love ourselves, that we're going to be selfish, that we're going to look kind of to our needs and our stuff. But what the Bible does talk about is this. Denying oneself. It talks about sacrifice. It talks about surrendering. It talks about humbling yourself. See, the Bible doesn't talk at all about exalting oneself. And you know, I understand that we need a balance because there's extremes on both sides, right? I mean, there are some people in our day with the prosperity, go- or not the, pro- the with the poverty gospel, that is saying you exalt Christ. And you totally ignore your needs. You totally ignore yourself. And then there's other people that say, you know what? It's to totally exalt yourself. And there needs to be a balance. And, and remember in, in the Old Testament when the burning bush, and God spoke to Moses out of the burning bush and told Moses that I want you to take and lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. And then all of a sudden Moses responded back to God and said, said I'm inadequate. I, I, I cannot do this. I, I feel you know, inferior, and you know, is what interest is interesting. The Bible does not say that God was pleased with Moses's feelings of insecurity, inadequacies, and not feeling good about himself. But the Scripture does say this: that God's anger was kindled against Moses because he did not have faith in God and he did not trust God. So Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, we're going to look at verse 3 first, and we're going to work our way back up, is this group of Scripture that I'm telling you has been a lifelong study for me. Because I think in Romans chapter 12, 1 through 3, it, it unlocks some things that would, would totally, and what the Scripture says, totally transform our life, totally help us. Verse 3, here's what the Scripture says. For the, by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned him. So God's word is clear. He wants us to have an accurate view of ourselves. Not so much that we think we're a self-made man, we're a self-made woman, that we don't need God, we don't need anybody around us. But on the other side as well. 
He doesn't want us to overestimate our worth so that we become arrogant. But he also doesn't want us to underestimate who we are and underestimate our worth so that we become insecure and we can't trust him. And, and so he wants us to have the correct perspective. Verse 1. So let's just walk through this. Here's what he says. And this is a long introduction, I know. And we'll, we'll end this up with three or four application points, probably three. Unless I come up with another one before then. So here's what he says. I, I appeal to you, therefore. That word appeal in the Greek is I urge you, I beg you, please, please, please get this. Please, please understand this. This is key to the Christian life. This is key to you being able to build his kingdom. This is key to you having self-image and being able to view yourselves properly. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present, so here he goes, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, which this is your spiritual worship. So worship is, is more than what we just do in here, and worship is how that we, we live our life. And so he starts talking about this, this, this surrender. He starts talking about surrendering ourselves to God, verse 2. And so he says, do not be conformed to this world. So, so this is just like for free. This is just a little bit of a Greek lesson. And I know some of you just love it, love it, love it when I talk about the Greek. But, you know, what? we just got to understand this. To, 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 there are some times in the English language when the English language has trouble communicating a thought that the Greek language has. In the Greek language, there's many different tense. In the English language, we've got basically three. And so that's where we have some of our challenges. And so when he uses this phrase, do not be conformed to this world, the Greek really is saying this, stop it. You're already doing it. See, Paul is talking into a church and he's talking into a community and they are already being conformed by this world. They already believe that, that self-image is based upon feeling good about themselves, whether it's their body, whether it's their possessions, whether it's their, 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 uh, their position in life, whether it's their friends, whatever. And so it's creeping into the local church and it's destroying the local church. And so Paul is speaking into that church, and they're already doing it. They're already being, they're already thinking like the world. The world's value system is becoming the church's value system in this context, in this culture. And Paul is saying, stop it. He says, do not be conformed to this world. But, so here he goes, here's how to live. In other words, as a Christian, you don't live by the world's systems. You don't live by the world's value. Self-image isn't based on the same thing that the world tells you that it's based upon. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may, so here we go, you may discern what the will of God is. How many people say, I just want to know the will of God for my life. I hear people talk about that. I hear people talk that they understand, they get it, they understand what the will of God is for their life. Paul is telling you how. Paul has given us a, a way to know this is how you determine the will of God. And so he discerned what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and, and perfect. You see, in our consumer-minded mindset, in our consumer-minded Christianity, and people do not like it when a pastor talks about anything of sacrifice. They don't like it when he starts talking about denying of self or sacrificing, or, or they don't like it when a pastor talks about, you know, giving of your time and giving of your money and giving of your resources. See, people push away from that in consumer-minded Christianity because consumer-minded Christianity says, wait a minute, the church is there for me. Christianity is this. Christianity is just believing in Jesus. It's in Jesus giving me a bunch of stuff, a forgiveness of sin, eternal life, but it is not me doing anything for him. It has such a shallow view and a consumer mindset will always make it difficult 
for you. And so many people approach church. As church is there for me. Church is there to meet my needs. Church is there to make me feel good. Church is there for them to get. And you know what? If they don't, I'll go find someone else. I'll go down the street to church XYZ that just makes me feel comfortable and understand that the whole church should do everything that I want to do. But a follower of Christ, a disciple is one that's believing in Jesus and belonging, participates in the body, and that is becoming a disciple and that is building his kingdom. Listen, let me tell you something. Your job is what you get paid to do. Your call is what you get to do. Man, your job, that job that you go to, that is what you get paid to do. And God puts you in those positions so that you can minister to people. I mean, so that you can come in contact with them. There are people in your jobs and in your careers that God wants you to come up against so that they can look at you and say, that's what God's like. That is what a Christian is like. That's how a Christian behaves. That a Christian doesn't behave with gossip and slander and judgment. They don't live like there's a difference. Your job, that's just what you get paid to do. And I've watched this over and over that, that when God wants to reach an engineer, he disguises himself as an engineer and sends someone in there as a missionary to reach another engineer or a doctor or a nurse or a salesman or a mechanic or a plumber or, or whatever. And you've got to understand this, that we are called. And he says, look, he says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. When you look at this word offer in the Greek, it's, it's voluntary. It means, to, it means to willing to commit. Fact is, in, just in our time, the way it's, that word is used, it's, it's a reservation. It would be like when you go to an expensive restaurant, whether it's your anniversary, that, that, that first date or, or whatever, and you go to that expensive restaurant where they require reservations, right? And you call them and you say, you know what, I'd like to reserve a table, and, and you give them the, the time. You know what, I never will forget, I was in Beattlestock, Poland, and we were doing missions, and I was there for a few weeks, and, and it was five years after the Chernobyl fallout, and man, the food was, I'm telling you, the food was, well, all the food still glowed. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I'm telling you, it was just horrible. It was horrible, the conditions that we were in. I mean, all the children, five years and, and younger, had horrible intestinal cancers and throat problems and everything because they ate all that radiation. And so the food was very, very bland. It was just, they didn't even have salt and pepper. It was just horrible. I mean, when, when the highlight of your day is cabbage soup, uh, you know, it's just horrible. So we made it back to Warsaw, Poland. And Warsaw is the largest city. And so we're in this bus, and we have some interpreters with us and some missionaries. And so we drive past uh, Kentucko Hot, uh, can, 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 a tuck, anyway, it's, it's, I can't remember what they called it. It was a Taco Bell and Kentucky Fried Chicken all in one. And so I saw, the, I saw Taco Bell, and I'm not a big Taco Bell person, but you know what? I was dying for something spicy, okay? And so that was just as good as it gets in Warsaw, Poland. And so I turned to the interpreter, and I says, hey, here's the deal. Uh, if you can get me to Taco Bell, I'll buy everybody a meal. I don't, care. I don't care how much it costs. I need something spicy. I need hot sauce. I've got to have this. And so, uh, so they got excited because they kind of like Taco Bell. And so, so anyway, we got there. We all unloaded off this little 10 or 15 passenger van that we were in. We went in. And so the, the interpreters led the way in. And all of a sudden, they came right out. And they're like bumping into everybody. Say, hey, we've got to go. We've got to go. And so we go back out. And so I said, what is up with that? We're going to eat at Taco Bell. He said, right, we can't eat here because in Warsaw, Poland... You need reservations to eat at Taco Bell. Yeah, can you? Yeah. 
That shows you the, the, the quality of their food. So when you, go to a, when you go to a nice restaurant and they mark a reservation label on a table, they are saying what? When you offer your bodies, they are saying this, that that table has been set aside for somebody's benefit. He's saying you put a reservation label on your life. My life is set aside for God's benefit. My life. It's not my job. It's not what I do. My life. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a commitment that's just it's voluntary. But it's also practical. I mean, he says, offer your bodies. Have you ever wondered, why does he want your body? Because if he has your body, he has you. See, if he has your body, he has your soul, he has your mind, he has your spirit, he has all of you. It's just practical. I mean, have you ever had someone tell you, whether you're doing a ministry or where you're doing something in the community, you need some people to volunteer, you need some people to show up, and so you tell someone, hey, would you mind serving in the church? Would you mind, would you mind coming to this meeting? Would you mind doing this? And they respond back to you and say, you know what? I cannot be there, but I'll, I'll be there in spirit. <laughs> Was that helpful? I mean, that's absolutely worthless, right? I mean, it's just a Christian way of removing some guilt from some people that say, well, I'll just pray for you guys, or, or I'll, just, I'll be there in not helpful, right? And the reason God says, offer your bodies... Is because when you do that, he has all... I mean, it's just practical. But it's also complete. He says, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Man, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice wasn't just a little bit. It was total and complete. And it was totally consumed, burnt offered to him. So real quickly, three things. I got four. Three. <laughs> I'm having trouble counting. So real quickly, three things. I can count three things about if we're going to understand God's will in our life, if we're going to move it to this last level to where we're going to be building his kingdom and we understand that and we get that, the first thing is this, is he is calling us. We're fully to surrender self as a sacrifice to him. In other words, we understand that he is offering us, he is asking us to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Isn't that the same thing that Jesus did for us? When we needed forgiveness of sin, when we needed a perfect and complete offering, isn't that what he did for, him, for us? Isn't that he took his body, he offered his body for us? And you know what? He is asking us to do the same thing, that, that we would offer our bodies, oh, not as a dead sacrifice. A dead sacrifice is sometimes easier than a living sacrifice, right? Sometimes it is easier to write a check. Sometimes it is easier to drop five or two, whatever. But you know what? He's asking us for what? A living sacrifice. And you know the problem with a living sacrifice? I don't know if you've discovered this in your life. I've discovered it in my life, that you can make that commitment on a Sunday and you can crawl off the altar on Monday. A living sacrifice is something daily. It is daily denying yourself. That's why Jesus says, unless you deny what? Unless you deny self. Unless you deny yourself. And follow me. There's that word, not Christianity. There's that word, follower of Christ. Unless you desire to deny self and follow me, you cannot 
you cannot be my disciple. See, there's a lot in this consumer-minded Christianity. We're like, well, we'll put a, a pinky on the altar. Or maybe a couple of fingers. Maybe we'll put something on the altar we really won't miss. Because for me, it's all about me. For me, it's all about this believing in Jesus stuff and all this stuff that God's going to do for me. But guess what? I'm not doing anything for him because it's all about me. And the problem with a living sacrifice is it is daily. And it is a daily commitment because you can go through hurts in life and churches and ministry and all this other stuff. And if you're not careful, you will pull yourself off and start living for self. I mean, anytime a person conquers their body, they feel good about themselves, right? You ever been around someone, lost five, ten pounds, and they like want everybody to notice? Why didn't you notice they're taking pictures of themselves and showing everybody? Why? Because they they feel good about the sacrifice. They want everybody to know the sacrifice that they have made to conquer their body. And Jesus is saying, if you want to know my will for your life, man, it starts with offering your body. See, here's the crazy deal about a lot of times that we get into about God's will. You know our real question about God's will? We just want to know, does it end well for us? We just want to know, how does it end up? And you know what he does? He just gives you the next step. You trust me. You know what we we do? God, you tell me how it works out for me. You tell me how it ends up. Then I'll decide whether I do it or not. He said your first step is you surrender yourself totally to me. The second thing is this. Is it has to be a mind that is totally transformed by God. And let me tell you something. The Christian life, regardless of what you have been taught or the regardless of what you believe, let me just tell you what Scripture says. The Christian life does not start with emotion. It starts with right thinking. If it is about emotion, then you'll bail. If it's about emotion, whether you feel God loves you or not, someone else loves you or not, or you love God or not, and how you feel, guess what? You will ride the Christian. It will be a roller coaster. It will be a wave of emotions. It starts with right thinking. That's why he says that we repent. We, and repent means to change one's mind, to change one's direction. Here's what he said in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Again, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewal of your mind. The Christian life is not based upon emotion. That by testing you may discern that the will of God is what, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I mean, that word conform is where we get our English word schizo, where it was used in in their Greek culture to where a play actor would play several different roles in a play, and they would run off, and and they'd go off stage and put a mask on and a different costume and come out, and then they'd go back off, and they'd have another costume and a mask, and, and they played several different roles. And so you know what he said? He said, it is not normative, it is not normal for a believer to conform to the ways of this. When you start thinking like the world, you're play acting. When you start thinking like the world, you're inauthentic. When you start thinking like the world, you're schizo, you're confused, you're, you, you, you don't have a, 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 a... You don't understand is what he's saying. That when you live different ways... 
You know, it's a crazy thing about this world. You know how they tell you that you'll feel good about yourself? And it's just some research I did this last week because I was curious. So what does the world tell you? What does the world tell you that you'll be able to have pure self-image and self-love? Because I'm telling you, counselors sit down with people almost every day of their life with people who say, I don't love myself, I don't feel good about myself, I don't think anybody would ever want me, and all this other stuff. You know how the world tells you you'll feel good about yourself? It's being attractive. It's in your possessions. It's being attractive. It's in your possessions. It's power. And it's just being yourself. I'm going to be my own person. Nobody can tell me how to live. Nobody can tell me what to do. If it just feels good, I'll do it. You know what Paul's saying? You as believers, you should have right thinking. Don't allow the world to mold you and shape you. You be transformed by the... And you be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's shallow Christianity to believe that God just wants to give you a better self-image. He wants something deeper for you. He wants to transform you. He wants to totally and radically change you to where your life isn't driven by what people think about you and how you look. Listen, let me tell you something. If your self-image is based upon how you look, The older you get, <laughs> I'm just telling you. I mean, some of you are my age and older. Some of you are younger. You haven't learned this yet. Let's just save you some pain. The older you get, the worse you're going to look. This is what you come here for. Unless you're in Hollywood and they just keep pumping plastic in until you don't even, they just look like freaks. I mean, you, I may not have should have said that. Uh, you, there's a joke, and I can only remember the punchline. Oh man, I wish I could tell it. I just thought, anyway, so we need to move on. But, but you understand that, right? I mean, if you get your self image, man, I'm telling you. If you get your self-image by appearance, the older you get, the worse you're going to look. If you get your self-image by possessions, let me tell you something. This world is a mirage. And you will gain it, and you will gain the power, and it won't be enough. It was said of Alexander the Great, when he conquered the world, he wept. And someone asked him, why are you crying? Why are you weeping? He says, because there's not another world to conquer. He conquered the whole world, and he still didn't feel good about himself. I'm telling you, if you find your acceptance and your approval in possessions, economies can take that away. Jobs can take that away. It is fleeting. It is temporary. We've got to get this. We've got to understand this. Because I'm telling you, there are so many believers that have been bought by the blood and they have eternal life and someone went, Jesus Christ, and died for the forgiveness of your sins and they still do not think they are worthy. He paid the ultimate price. 
Man, if you've been life journaling with us, you know this. We've been reading through King Saul and David and King David's life. And, and so when, when, when God's hand came off of King Saul and they had to uh, pick a successor. And so uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, God sends Samuel to, to, to David's house and he would be the next king. And, and so he says, you go into his house, bunch of brothers, you need to pick the successor. He's in the house. And so... He was worried, God was worried that Samuel would make a poor choice. And so watch this, 1 Samuel 16, 7. So the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance. He was talking about an older brother who was strong and athletic and, and that, those chiseled looks and muscles and all of that other stuff. And he was worried that he would select him. Do not look on his appearance or, or in height of his stature because I've already rejected him, for the Lord sees not as man sees. Watch this. Man looks on the outward appearance, so it is right. The world looks at the external. The world looks at appearance. Do not let the world conform you, shape you to their image, to where you believe success and self-image self comes from the external. It's temporary. It's fleeting. And what Paul would say, don't be schizo. Understand. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but guess what? But the Lord, man, he looks at the heart. He looks at the character. He looks at the call. He looks at integrity. He looks at people willing to live for him and deny themselves. Man, and we can get a temporary rush from, from promotion and exercise and closing a deal and bonuses and relationships, but there's always a desire to, for more. There are articles after articles after articles of people that have obtained it. I mean, I never will forget the article of Troy Aikman when the Dallas Cowboys, when he led the Dallas Cowboys to win their first Super Bowl. He didn't even go downstairs in the, in the hotel to the celebration with all of the other players. And he stayed in his room and he drank a beer. And he said in an interview, he sat there and he drank that beer and he thought, all of my life I've been raising the bar. All of my life I've been from Pop Warner football all the way up. And I've won high school championships. I've won college championships. And now I've attained the greatest game of all, a Super Bowl. I don't know where to move the bar. It's never enough. Christian life is not emotion. It's right thinking. Paul, a little bit about his testimony in Philippians 3, 3 and 8 says this. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and he says, and I've learned is what he's saying, put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh. So once he thought this way, if anyone th thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews as to the law, a Pharisee as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. So here he goes. But whatever I gain, whatever gain I had, I now count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For this sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as, as rubbish, which that's a nice way of interpreting the Greek word trash or a word that I can't even use in church in order that I may gain Christ. Christ changed Paul's mind. Christ changes our mind. And when we're transformed in our mind and view of possessions in it, self-image does not come from possessions. Christ changes our self and 
indulgence where I just have to be myself and listen in ministry. I've ministered to so many men that have, that have come to me and, and I've watched them leave families and wives and jobs and families and, and they said, I just got to go find myself. You know what's crazy? I've never had a man come back in three weeks and says, hey, found myself in Denver. (laughs) Never knew I'd be there. But I have had a lot of men come back three years later and say my life is a wreck. My kids don't respect me any longer. I've made some horrible choices. I haven't lived a life as an example to my family. And my life is a wreck. Real quickly, the last thing is this. It's a will that's responsive. Most people think that if I submit to God's will, it's, it's going to be bad. I mean, it's going to be boring. I'll never laugh. I'll be unhappy. I'll be stuck in some third world country in a hut eating dirt and drinking very little water. And, and it just, You know what Paul would say? That's the world's thinking. I'm telling you, if you believe this morning, if I lived a life of purity, if I lived a life to live and line my life up with what Scripture says, it will not turn out well for me. It will not be better than me making my decisions on my own. Guess what? You have allowed the world to shape you and form you. And Paul is saying it's in right thinking because what he said, his will is good. That's what the Scripture says. Good in the, in the, in the Greek means high quality, the very best high quality. He said his will is perfect. You know what that means? It means tailor-made. It's like to get a tailor-made suit or it's like to get a tailor-made dress or it's to get something tailor-made for you. It is specifically tailor-made to perfectly fit you. And what he's saying, that his will for your life is the highest of highest quality, better than you could ever dream. And it is made to purposely, uh, to, to specifically fit you. And he said, do not follow the world. I'm telling you, if we're willing to let God be the most significant in our life, then positive self-esteem is regardless how, how we feel about ourselves, how other people feel about ourselves. So many people, it's on the externals and where their self-esteem is focusing on self, or focus on what other people are saying about you, it will come and go. And the scripture says it comes from completely and totally surrendering yourself to God. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may be able to discern what is the will of God. What is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Just believing in Jesus, belonging to his family, becoming his disciple and building his kingdom.